Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Welcome, welcome, Newsbusters listeners. You are listening to the Newsbusters podcast. You've made it. It's Friday. I'm your managing editor and fill-in co-host, Curtis Salk. And joining me, as always, when I'm here, is your associate editor and my co-pilot, Nick Fonicaro. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing all right. Sinuses mostly drained. Mostly drained. You can hear yourself. A little bit better. (laughs) Which is good. You are back into the news cycle uh, after your fine vacation. He has all of his... uh, I brought. I, I got my Star Wars stuff in the mail yesterday, so I'm showing some of the other Star Wars nerds in the office the lightsaber and the droid I made. It's it's good. It's it's good stuff. So, uh, so we've got a lot of big stories to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show about Afghanistan because if you're listening to the show on Friday, it is the one year anniversary of 13 young Americans being slaughtered by radical Islamic terrorists and a suicide attack in Kabul during Joe Biden's disastrous withdrawal uh, from that country. Um, so we talk about that with our buddy uh, and research director, Scott Whitlock, uh, some angles of the coverage, uh, previewing a big study he has coming out on Monday. Um, and we also have uh, the Zuckerberg news we're also going to talk about. But Nick has something that he wants to talk about that he is charged up about. Yeah, so we got the... Uh the Biden administration here is going around going to forgive $10,000 in student loans, $20,000 for recipients of the Pell Grant. And you have the, the liberal media. At first, they were sort of like for it. And then you, you started to see some cracks, right, Curtis? Where like They were sort of showing that there was even division amongst folks in the Democratic Party, like mm-hmm. Senator Tim Kaine uh, or uh, Senator uh, Tim Ryan and um, others who are on uh, who are supposedly on the more moderate side or who, having to face tough re-elections this year ex- exactly or or the progressives who think that the money they want 50,000 instead of 10,000 right so there's what is that so that makes four sides you have the white house who thinks everything's good and their supporters you have progressives who don't think it went far enough you have democrats who aren't happy that it's being done at all and then you have Republicans who are just universally not happy about it. So there's usually there's only like two sides to a story. Now here there's like four. So it's very complicated. Uh, and so it actually makes the, it easier, I think, for the media to do its job because there's so many sides to cover that it's hard for them to ignore the fact that it's a very splintered uh, mm-hmm. view at least in the political world right now. We'll we'll probably get some more polling here soon about what the American people think about this and, specific plan. And they and they tend to also have opinions based off their own personal opinions. So I'm assuming that a lot of them, especially the younger reporters who are also in the process of either had just paid off their student loans or are doing it the right way, they might also have their own personal like gripes against this of like, I'm paying off my student loans. Why can't somebody like, like these people have to also pay off their student loans. Like I went to school, I went to J school or just politics in general. And now I, I have this job that I'm working at, but so anyway, so you, but you do have some in the media who are sort of for, for this. You had ABC who yesterday was talking about how this is life changing help. And then they, they put a lot of emphasis on the, the progressives that say, uh, th- this this plan doesn't go far enough, and 
they really only when they talked about the people who were against it, it was they really only focused on the Republicans who they like particularly they'll pull like a soundbite of Mitch McConnell calling it extra astonishingly unfair. And then they'll the counter for that is Biden sort of scolding it, talking about like, oh, is it fair that bailouts for big co companies and stuff, even though this is not really the same thing? Not at all. Yeah. And then when they and but when they do talk about the backlash on both sides, it, it's again that they're focusing on the progressives of this doesn't go far enough. They're not focusing on the moderate Democrats who say that th we shouldn't be doing this at all and how and they're really not sh talking about how at, like the blue collar Americans who either didn't go to college, either paid off their own or are going to trade schools instead of college are, are not get again are not going to get any of this money. So they're really mostly ABC and some some of the other more definitely more partisan individuals like John Harwood, who was today sort of touting on on CNN touting how the Biden administration was able to pull this off after their string of amazing victories, and they're ready for the fight in the public square over this policy and. You also had CBS who sort of noted that there was some pushback, but really was sort of playing it down. They're probably trying to see which side is going to come out ahead in general, and then maybe they'll pick a side then. But NBC, surprisingly, has been the one that's been the most, has given a lot of voice to, to the critics, both the moderate Democrats and the Republicans. Last night or yesterday, they had on a college graduate who they didn't distinguish which political side of the aisle he was on, but he was just like, Hey, I, I paid down my debts and now suddenly somebody else is getting money. Like, like should, should I, shouldn't I get some of that money back since I did the right thing and paid down my obligations. I honored my obligations and they're, they're also the only ones to note NBC. This uh, that is that, there's actually serious legal questions and the, they've actually noted how this is this may be unconstitutional and they noted that Biden may have exceeded his authority. Right. I mean, watching the White House press briefing, which side note returned after a two week hiatus mm -hmm. because Joe Biden was perpetually on vacation. And that was some of the questions that a lot of these White House reporters had. And, and this is where you really see how bad Kareem Jean-Pierre is at her job. Now, granted, issues like this, she's being thrown out there. She has to kind of figure things out herself. But at the same time, she comes off as woefully unprepared. And the reporters come off feeling like they're all Peter Ducey because they're asking these basic kinds of questions that you just laid out, and she doesn't have answers for them. Uh, so they look like they're doing their jobs. And they, they kind of are, but not really because – the press secretary isn't really working with them. They're giving them nothing to really work with. Um, and, and there's a lot of ambiguity out there about this plan. But I can imagine, you know, it, if this does end up in courts, I mean, it's just going to inflame tensions a little bit more. Even CNN was uh, yesterday was admitting that this is likely to go to court and that there there is legal ground here to challenge it. You had Chris Wallace yesterday basically saying it's like this it, it's beyond any sort of doubt that it's this will end up in court. Kate Baldwin was agreeing with him on that. Both him and NBC did note that Pelosi herself said 
Biden doesn't have this authority. So you having the, like you have some of the media that are acknowledging that even the Speaker of the House is is sitting there sort of cringing, going, eh, "This this this ain't good," because and even Oba- uh, Biden himself said this back in 2021. So they can just play his old sound bites of him saying that I don't have this authority. Now suddenly he has this authority. Like nothing nothing's changed. No constitutional amendments have been passed. <laughs> They've not been passed. Yeah, but unfortunately for Chris Wallace, he did repeat what I'm calling the big lie, and he said, quote, we are not in a recession by any standards. Mm. Not any standard. Any standard before, well, mm. the, the current standard, whatever, the, the current standard, because before, like, definitely, we, we had a standard up until about maybe like two months ago, and then suddenly no standard exists anymore, or about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Interesting how that works. Yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, and we also had uh, Catherine Rampell, uh, columnist, and who was also on CNN. She was also calling this today a, a waste of money and sort of scolding the Democrats of like, you, you're now beholden to like upper income individuals. And this bill shows it because even though like most of the money might not be going uh, for the student loans, going to these upper middle class folks. You're you're still doing it, and you're you're they're giving the excuse of like, oh, we need the buy-in from the 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 richer folk, and it's like she's basically saying it's like, you're you're showing your you're, like you're letting the mask slip and show that the Democrats are now the party of the affluence classes, the rich, right? Like the 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 party of the classes that you're gonna have like the celebrities in Hollywood who will pay people thousands of dollars to fake crew row, crew row, rowing crew photos and all the stuff yeah, they get their kids into ivy aunt league Becky, co- aunt becky's kids yeah exactly getting them the ivy league colleges and now they're going to be getting money to to pay off their debts well i think uh well two things one Catherine rampell is very interesting because uh, that she was the person who came out for this because she's a pretty liberal person she's she, i think she's adjunct at nyu or something yeah. like that she's she's pretty wealthy uh married to a rich guy too uh you know, she's not Krugman crazy. I mean, Krugman is such a cartoon at this point. Um, but it, she's in the same vein in terms of a liberal economics columnist. And so for her to come out and be like, well, I don't know about this. I mean, that's really saying something. Uh, well, it was surprising. Uh, needless to say, if Chris Lick keeps doing what he's doing, Catherine Rampell, you might be able to keep your job. Yeah. So, yeah. And well, one of the other things she was saying is that like talking about like you were talking about how like liberal she is, but she was also saying it's like this money that you're using for this could go towards the other progressive like little projects and I'll just call them pipe dream ideas. Yeah. So she was basically saying it's like you're using this money. It could go for other stuff that are that is more in line with what progressives want. But this is sort of where we're at and you're still going to get. Well, while you have some in the liberal media that are that will say like, "Hey, this people are going to be angry about by this," you're still going to have them the ones like Harwood, ABC that are going to try their best to wave the banner. Right, uh, and, and finally here, uh, I mean, I'm just going to add like just put all the cards on the table. I mean, this is a complicated issue for a lot of people. Um, yeah. and and for me, I, I mean, I share with my colleagues. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a lot of student loans um, because living in DC's hellscape and uh i've been very public about my mental health i had a lot of payments i had to make for a lot of different things uh for a number of years uh so for me i would be i would benefit from this and i understand you know 
how difficult this is. Thankfully, you know, the one program that had been in place that I'm going to continue to uh, abide by is the public service forgiveness program. So anybody out there who works for the feds, you may hate working for the feds, but you know, if you stick with that, or if you work for a 501 C three, which is what the MRC is all tax donation or, uh, all donations are tax deductible. Um, you, uh, you, and you make payments for 10 years. So it's like 120 qualifying payments. You have the rest of your balance forgiven. Um, it's a pain in the butt in terms of paperwork uh, that you have to fill out, but uh, I'm a good part of the way through it. And but for me, you know, I understand how difficult this is, uh, and I recognize it's kind of a boondoggle. Um, but I, I, I think it's worth pointing out that this is there's a lot of gray area here based on how exorbitant the cost of college has become and what a scam it's become. Yeah. Uh, with the way universities have just been egregiously raising tuition, raising costs of room and board. I mean, I think that's the other thing too, is like if you paying tuition is one thing, but then getting room and board is a ton of money as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. textbooks, you can save money here, they're used and those kinds of things. You can get by some classes. You don't even need the book. Um, Or if you're like a history major, you're, you're told go buy David McCullough's book that you can get for like five bucks on Amazon about the Johnstown flood and write a paper about it. Uh, But you know, for other people uh, that's also a real struggle. And unfortunately this administration has no plan thus far to stand up to their friends in liberal academia uh, who are just fleecing the the fleecing the federal government at this point. Yeah, it is. Because like the federal government is the only one that gives the loans, right? Right. And So, so then the universities then raise the rates. We already know this. The daily wire has reported that with the electric car rebate out of this so-called Inflation Reduction Act, uh, it'll be about five to $7,000 off the sticker price of your electric vehicle. GM and I believe one of the other major car companies have announced that based on like cost for supplies or some other BS, they're increasing the cost of their cars by the same amount as your subsidy. So you'll still end up paying the same amount of money uh, and that's how college has been as well. I mean, all of our parents talk about how cheap college used to be then, and that's because you really didn't have student loans, and it was just, I mean, it was just such a different time then. Um, and I say that, too, as someone who went to a, a Penn State, which is the most, it's called state-related in Pennsylvania, but most expensive, I think, in-state tuition in the country. Uh, so I just put that out there. Uh, I expect people to tell me I'm a lib, uh, and that's fine. I don't really care. Go ahead, boo me. Uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> we all have our things. Uh, so I, I just, uh, I recognize, yeah, again, what a mess this is. And if, yeah, we got to do something about these universities. Uh, so to end this part before we bring in Scott here, uh, I say what Will Chamberlain says seize the endowments because these endowments are like billions and billions of dollars that they just sit on that could help bring down the costs of college. And, and oh, and P.S., Mitch Daniels, former governor of Indiana, has been the president at Purdue for like a decade and tuition hasn't gone up. Mm. He's held the line on tuition because he knows them. Like, this is a scam. And he holds the line and now... Purdue is one of the more affordable, large state universities in the country for a reason. And it's still the tough, maybe the toughest engineering school in the country. Amazing how that works. 
production and quality of education didn't go down just because you lowered costs. Amazing. Exactly. So we'll, uh, we'll have Scott uh, hooked up here in a second and we'll be, uh, we'll have him uh, come in right about now. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so first uh, we were going to talk about uh, the news that broke late Thursday with Mark Zuckerberg appearing to be human. He see, uh, By people who've listened, there was someone in the office who listened and said he actually sounded like a human being and someone you could relate to. Uh, for once, he was on the Joe Rogan Experience, the Joe Rogan's podcast. And in that, he made quite the admission about how the FBI, the FBI, had requested that Facebook tamp down on Hunter Biden stories when the laptop reporting came out from the New York Post. So what we have here is an admission from the head of Facebook, one of the lead social media platforms in the world, admitting that the U.S. government, the deep state, told them that they needed to suppress stories. So granted, I mean, there are a lot of liberal employees there. We all know that. Um, and that they would have willingly probably done it anyway. But the fact that a federal law enforcement agency asked them to do it takes things to a whole uh, different level. Uh, and it confirms the fears and suspicions that a lot of us have had. You know, we talked about how in our poll done after the election, that 45.1% of swing state voters that had backed Joe Biden had not heard about Hunter Biden's laptop scandal. And if they did, 9.4%, so not a lot, but the election was very close, 9.4% would have abandoned Biden. Wow. So there we go. So we have big tech and we have the media working together to suppress stories that would have been damaging and, as we know now, truthful about Joe Biden and his family. So, guys, I think it's interesting that the semi-fascism line uh, came out from Joe Biden at the exact same time uh, that this recording came out. I, I just found it very amusing. Uh, so he's talking about the Republicans being fascists, but a government-controlling a major corporation and what many people argue is a public utility in Facebook uh, in telling them what to do. That seems rather fascisty to me. I don't know. Mm, whatever. You guys have some thoughts on this? Yeah. Uh, you want to go ahead? Well, no, I was just going to say, I think this shows that everything, uh, uh, most everything that conservatives believed in was saying about 2020 really did happen. That the media was absolutely convinced that they were going to bury the Hunter Biden story. And, you know, with the exception of a few outlets in the New York Post, obviously, uh, places like that, they didn't want to talk about it. And yeah, uh, big tech was in on it, too. And you don't have to believe the election was stolen uh, to to believe that the, the, the media media and big tech were conspiring together to make sure you didn't hear about these things. I mean, uh, Curtis just read those uh, poll numbers, but that's absolutely true. People didn't know about these things, and it's hard to make an informed decision when you don't know about something. And I also, just real quick, I'll just add, and those that did cover it rejected it as a conspiracy. And so they mm -hmm. they went with the psychological argument of you repeat something over and over and over again until it cements in people's minds, Nick, that 
this is the case so that whenever Hunter Biden is mentioned, people think conspiracy. Yeah, they kept calling it Russian disinformation campaign. And you had Stelter and others sort of saying like the the information on the laptop was planted, just wholesale fabricated and then just dropped off at the repair shop. And you you now have these it, it, it really so you had in 2016 people who were just like like uh, uh, struck and Paige who were just sort of like oh don't worry we have the backup stuff that just to keep him from getting elected with their text messages don't worry we have things to stop that and now you were seeing other FBI agents who were going to Facebook and be like hey we need you to suppress big dumb stories something's coming down the pipe like they didn't tell them that it was the hunter story they're like something big's coming down the pike soon keep an eye out for it and then the Hunter Biden thing drops not long after it's like and Zuckerberg goes like oh so this must have been what they were talking about it, this this because this has just happened so then they take their advice and Zucker says like the algorithm sort of just downplayed it a little bit. They didn't take the full approach as Twitter did, being complete uh, Gestapo brown shirt, however you want to say, it, like complete 1984, strip it from the website entirely, kick you, send you to jail if you shared it. Twitter right. So jail. the analogy is, I think if yeah. if 2016's deep state was Keystone Cops. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> then with Strzok and Page and their carelessness and their nonsense uh, getting caught, then this was, you know, the se- this was a case of The Empire Strikes Back where the sequel was actually better and, you know, better executed than the first one. Um, so, because Donald Trump overcame the Russian collusion investigation. You could make the argument that his numbers were wound, you know, his poll numbers took a severe hit and he was hampered and not able to really implement as much of his agenda as he could have. Uh, but at the same time, the fact that he survived that and that was not, I mean, Russian collusion was not what he was impeached for in either case. So, um, uh, so I think that's an important point to make. Uh, but this one obviously led to him uh, being jettisoned from the White House uh, and losing the presidency. So uh, the other topic we wanted to talk about is Afghanistan. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, today marks one year since we lost 13 Americans. Um, so with the big news event like this that took up days of our time, uh, day, you know, pages and pages of Newsbusters blogs, um, something that all Americans were really talking about. It's one of those bad days where you buy the physical newspaper the next day. Unlike Scott and I, we get it every day. For other people, they buy it when there's big things that happen, and, and that was certainly a day uh, that a lot of us aren't going to forget. And Jen Psaki has even said that was the worst single day uh, of her 10 years White House press secretary having to face reporters, uh, have questions about things halfway around the world that she didn't have an answer for. Um, and t- talk about what the families must be going through. Um, so with that, as I said, because it was such a big event, you would think that the networks would have coverage on this. So Scott, how did they do? Well, they didn't cover it. <laughs> but the the yeah, the that's the short version. The long version is, as you said, today is the one year anniversary of the death of 13 American service uh, members from a suicide bombing in Afghanistan, and none of the morning shows covered it. None of the evening newscasts uh, covered it last night. Previewing it, they they just pretended that it uh, didn't happen. And and one of the things that that we noted because it's just so sort of 
disgusting is that th- they covered the 75th anniversary of Goodnight Moon instead on NBC. And nothing against Goodnight Moon. I read that, my wife and I read that to my son. Yeah, he loves that. Uh, it's a great book. But when you're talking about anniversaries on a day like this, you need to cover the anniversary, uh, the one-year anniversary of the loss of these uh, soldiers. And the Washington Examiner and other outlets have talked about a lot of the, the family members from these uh, people feel like they're being ignored, feel like they're being downplayed by the Biden administration. They specifically have called them out. So, you know, this is a story, it should be covered, but as we've seen with so much of Afghanistan over the last year, or really any other topic that is negative or not a just something that is not going to reflect well on the Biden administration, you know, they try and bury it because they're still trying to protect him going into the midterms. Yeah, especially stories where it's universal in terms of the condemnations. Uh, we were talking about student loans in the first part of the show. And, and my point was how there's like four different sides to this, that story, with all these different parts about how people feel with Afghanistan. It's just universal rage and disgust with the administration. Um, whereas this, and because of that, it's something that the media uh, can ignore. And and the ignoring is definitely politically motivated, not just because they want to protect Biden. Because remember, immediately after the pullout happened and they abandoned all those the hundreds of Americans in Afghanistan, all the poll numbers, that's when Biden's poll numbers started cratering. It was, it was that moment that when people looked at just how ineffectual, ineffective, um, incompetent, dangerous he was as a president, and that's when all the poll numbers are tanking, and they can't afford to remind people of all of that just months before the midterms where Republicans are set to uh, take back the House in a really big way. Right, and I think, you know, in, in so... Uh that I think that was key too, and it, you brought up how or the poll numbers started to crater, with, along with the Loudoun County uh, situation. I think there have been some stories that have said that that's kind of what was a turning point in the Virginia governor's race, even yeah, because Terry McAuliffe had hitched his wagon to Joe Biden and it making it all about Donald Trump, whereas this horrible thing was going on. And voters just saw the incompetency going on out of the powers that be. And Glenn Youngkin in Virginia was the way that a lot of people saw as a source of release, I guess, of, of energy in a positive way uh, to this. So um, and, and also, too, uh, before we kind of go into some preview here, I wanted to mention one of some of the hot takes that we had that day. So we had Malcolm Nance and Nick, you pointed out. Uh, we pointed out in the previous podcast about ISIS, about the, uh, what is it, the ISIS bombing? He yeah. had that take yeah. about Trump Tower being next or something like that. Yeah, he nominated Trump Tower Istanbul to be bombed by ISIS. Right, exactly. So, But then that day, uh, one year ago, he said, quote, 20 years, FYI, there have been daily suicide bombers killing civilians nearly daily in Afghanistan. This ain't new. It's why we're leaving. Hashtag deal with it. I think the hashtag at the end really made it there. It was crazy. It was one of those things that he tweeted before we even knew how many Americans had passed. Uh, He tweeted it well before noon, and it wasn't until a couple hours after that in the early afternoon that we started to see that how many Americans were dead. Um, 
So he eventually kind of started to like walk it back, but it took more than like one part. And when you need more than one like follow up tweet to anything like that, after you stick step on a rake or uh, put your foot in your mouth, you know you're gonna have a hard time. So uh, we had that, uh, and the night before we had uh, Cobb, uh, was a Kandahar Joy or Jalalabad Joy is what I called her. Uh, she uh, she was standing up for Joe Biden, basically making the point that he's doing exactly. Uh, what needs to be done and everything's going really well. He's evacuating tens of thousands of people like anybody could do that. And then finally, I'll just say, and I'm going to use Scott, is the, Bill Hemmer made this point right after we heard the news a year ago that for many Americans, 9-11 was not a feeling of embarrassment. It was one of shock and sadness. Um, a lot of other difficult emotions. Um, but one with Afghanistan, we have that, but also the way that Afghanistan withdrawal happened, it was one of shame and it was, and it was chaos. And he said this in a way that we had not seen since 1975 with the end of the Vietnam war, uh, with that, uh, withdrawal as well, where it just is going to be in seared, seared into the minds of and with President Biden pr promising us, oh, you're not going to see helicopters leaving the roof of the embassy. And what did we see? Helicopters leaving the roof of the embassy, just like Kearsan. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's Saigon, just, I should say. It's just total protection for the Biden administration because you're right. Shame and embarrassment, I think, were the, the main sort of emotional response as in addition, obviously, to sadness uh, about what happened uh, last August. And Nick is right, too. If you look back at the Real Clear Politics uh, polling average, you just go to, to August 2021, and it's it's the point, the point where they crisscross the positive, uh, negative approval, and it's it's been down ever, ever since. And so, obviously, this goes beyond politics because the media should do their job, and they should mm -hmm. cover uh, this story, and they should be respectful for the, the families of those who lost loved ones. But we can't get beyond we can't get past the politics of it that, that they are just doing their best just like with uh the baby formula thing and just like mm. with the border and everything else when it comes to this president of of trying to prop him up and we're going to have a study that's going to be uh coming out uh early next week that that it's going to look back at a year's worth of um asking afghanistan coverage and really what we saw was uh, just a preview, 409 minutes of coverage on the evening newscast last August. That's a lot, and it should be a lot. But the shocking thing is how quickly it dropped off to 92 minutes, to 16 minutes, to 10 minutes, to basically nothing as of the uh, end of July, which was one year. And it's not like stuff wasn't happening. There was there was repression of women, uh, repression of uh, little girls, violence, chaos. A lot has been happening. There was an earthquake, I think, too. Humani <laughs> yeah, humanitarian like food crisis because they like they got no food over there, so they need to like airlift everything in. Like it's it's bad over there. Yeah, it's bad, and it's a dangerous situation, and it's been dangerous for the last year. But like everything else, with yeah. Uh, with the Biden administration, they're, they're just trying to protect them. And, and, I, and I like was listening to something recently and I heard like there's like the weapons that we left behind there. A lot of them are showing up in Kashmir. So they're being used in like the, the fighting, militant fighting over in Kashmir. And there's like the, the, those weapons are finding their way all around the world now. 
Right. They're left behind. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, people forget. Yes. Uh, people. Night vision yeah, goggles, Arabs in, guns. Arabs in Pakistan and the the Hindus in, the Hindus, uh, in India do not exactly get along. Yeah. So not great. Right. And, and ultimately, this all comes back to kind of the main point of what the Media Research Center Newsbusters does. We're not asking for conservative bias. We're just asking them to do their job and mm-hmm. be consistent. And mm-hmm. when you have outlets like the Washington Post that has democracy dies in darkness on their pa- uh, paper, it's so infuriating for conservatives and independents because – if they would put that kind of thinking towards every president, Democrat or Republican, we would have nothing to do. But the point is, when Democrats take office, it's everything's fine. Democracy's fine. So uh, Scott's study is going to be about well, you looked at just the evening shows, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, this past month, we've had some uh, examples and last month as well on the morning shows. And Scott's written about some of them. And. And uh, the major newspapers that Scott just brought up has have done a lot of uh, things looking back because they have a lot of pages to fill. And it's it's not like CNN where they just talk about Donald Trump forever. They have other stories in there. And what they do then is something, uh, again, that's also a problem. And I think this also is not partisan, as Scott pointed out, about what we do and what we point out at the MRC, which is you cover the story, which is good, but then – there's like no mention of Joe Biden. Joe Biden's name does not come up in some of these stories looking back about the withdrawal. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Lloyd Austin doesn't come up. The generals don't come up. Joe Biden, Jake Sullivan, nowhere to be found. These things just happen. Right? Things, the government just th- runs itself. Things yeah. just happen. It just happened that the U.S., the U.S., like this just kind of amoeba, like this just cell blob just kind of just leaves like on its own or somehow like you know, it makes no sense and when you're trying to construct a story it's just like writing a paper for school if you're leaving out important facts you get a bad grade or if you put the important information on page five out of eight in your school paper you're not going to get a good grade you put your thesis near the top and it's the same thing with news you put your lead at the top of the story, and if you can't answer, if you're leaving out parts of the who, what, where, when, why, and how, then um, you're not doing your job. And that this is a great example, obviously in a horrible, you know, situation of how the media not only censor stories they don't and they, they don't cover, but they also uh, cover it up, I guess, or whitewash it. And, and that's just as bias dangerous. by omission. Yeah, bias by omission, and that's just yeah. as dangerous because it's. Uh, to borrow a phrase from our fact-checking friends, friends, missing context. Right. Yeah. And, and and for anyone who studies history, I mean, this is this is very Jimmy Carter-esque in that they, you know, it's when a Democratic president is seen as incompetent and having a series of disasters, what tends to happen is the presidency is somehow bigger than one man. It's, you know, the, the president, the, the government is just sort of happening. And it's not any one person. And the person who's actually making these decisions that end up being disastrous, you kind of stop hearing about them. And that's what we've seen with Biden. Yeah. I mean, it's been uh, a really shameful chapter. And again, his poll numbers have not recovered from this. I think that's important to know. They crisscrossed and then it's been game over since. We're seeing numbers as low as Trump and the media wouldn't stop stop talking about Donald Trump's poll numbers. Yeah, so yeah, so we've basically gotten to the point where it's like they're not really 
most of them are not defending Biden per se as so much as they're now just defending the party and their political chances in midterms and yeah, 2024. It's, it's not openly defending Biden as so much as like covering for him. Right. Damage control for the rest of the party. Exactly. Yep. exactly. I, I, isolate it to him and then try to protect everybody else. Make it a broader thing. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Nick, it has been another great week. And, folks, we will be back on Monday. So, I mean, we've got a lot more to talk about then. Um, Scott, do you have anything else to add? Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just uh, stick with us because we've got Afghanistan and then uh, we're certainly going to be moving into uh, the, the, the kind of late post-Labor Day uh, coverage of the midterms and it's, it's just going to be a sprint from there. It usually picks up. usually does. Yep. Mm-hmm. It usually picks up from there. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, again, it's been a great week. Uh-huh. We're glad you're back. We covered a lot of different things. Uh, we finally made it through a show with very few mentions of Brian Stelter, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be weird to, to to not have him to talk about on Monday, but we will soldier on. So uh, thank you for listening. And as boss Tim Graham likes to say, come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. Catch you Monday. Goodbye.